Welcome to the Lex City Church Podcast. To learn more about the ministries of Lex City, please visit LexCity.Church. Well, let me welcome you into December. It's hard to believe that we are already here this wonderful time of the year. And in the true holiday spirit, like so many of you, I caught the Christmas crud and um, I'm feeling better, but my voice is still a little shaky, so I'm gonna go a little shorter this morning since I've got the two services and baby dedication, so thanks for your grace on that this morning. But we're glad you're here. It's gonna be a great morning together. Today, I wanna talk about, over these next few weeks, I wanna take a look at a prophet, an Old Testament prophet who tells us more about the birth of Jesus than anyone else that's recorded throughout that. In fact, he tells us more about the Messiah and salvation than all of the Old Testament prophets combined. Um, we find this for this prophet in the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He is quoted by these authors more than anybody else in these passages. And because of that reason, he's known as the evangelical or the evangelistic prophet because he speaks so much about salvation and the Messiah. Any idea who this prophet might be? Isaiah is where we're going to spend some time. This prophet Isaiah, whose name means Yahweh is salvation. Now, Yahweh is salvation is his name. There's little known about Elisha or Isaiah in terms of as a person. We know this idea that he was the son of Amaz, that he was married, that he had sons. We also know about Isaiah, the idea that he was not only a prophet, but he was a priest. As we think about this man, 700 years before the birth of Jesus, he gives us a prophecy that tells us about the person and the place and the how and the plan for this Messiah. Think about this. 700 years before the events take place, he prophesies who this Jesus would be. Matthew, we're going to see today, and even Paul, quote, Isaiah in their teachings. Jesus actually quoted the words of Isaiah when he went to the synagogue and did the reading at this time. What I want to tell you is this, he's extremely important, and those in history know that. In fact, as you read the Christmas story, if you're like me, before uh, every Christmas morning before we open presents, we take time to read the Christmas story, and you may or may not realize that some of the words that we read every year were actually the words of Isaiah given 700 years before. And so let me just remind you of that. Book of Matthew chapter 1, it says this. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, verse 23, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke from the sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took his wife. But he knew her not until she gave birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. 
Over these next few weeks, I want to focus in on some of those Christmas words that the prophet gave to us that we say over and over, year in and year out, and may not even be reminded of the context on which they were spoken. Words that were given to us 700 years, don't miss this, 700 years before the actual event. Now think about that, 700 years before the event. If Isaiah was a false prophet, If Isaiah was just saying some words in order to make the nation of Israel to feel good in difficult times, if he says, hey, I want to give you this idea, this hope of this thing called the Messiah who may help you, who may bring deliverance to you in hard times, if it was just a false sense of what it is, listen, history is going to bear out. Isaiah gave some very specific things, and over 700 years, if they don't happen, he'll be identified as a false prophet, because Isaiah makes the mistake of being very specific on the prophecies that he gives. He doesn't speak in figurative language. This is not an allegory. He names out where and who and all the details that were there. So I want to encourage you today that the words that we're going to look at over the next few weeks, they are the foundation not only for the Christmas season, But I propose to you today that they're foundation for our Christian faith. And we find them all in the Old Testament prophet named Isaiah. So if you've got your Bibles this morning, if you would turn me to the book of Isaiah chapter 7. If you've got your phones, you can go to lexcity.info, have all the sermon notes there that you can follow along as we go. So what is the purpose of Isaiah chapter 7 when Isaiah the prophet prophesies about a baby, right? Is he just into gender reveals and thinks, hey, this will be a great idea? I never was into gender reveals until last week, until I found out that we're having a little grandbaby, and it's going to be a little girl, so look out. I'm so excited about that. I don't even know what to do with a little girl, but we'll figure it out. It'll be amazing, right? That's my world, but we're back in 740 BC when the book of Isaiah takes place. And Isaiah, who was a prophet, who had given prophecies before this one, he had given prophecies to the nation of Israel, and they basically had gone this way. Israel, repent. You've turned from God. You're living an ungodly life. You're not following the laws of God. You're worshiping false idols. And God, in his judgment, is going to bring a conquering nation and conquer you unless you repent. I mean, that was the prophecies of the early years of Isaiah. Now, how is this going to take place? Let me just show you a map because it was pretty obviously what was going to happen, these conquering things. At the time of Isaiah chapter 7, the Assyrian Empire is now growing in power. A few years later, they're going to be followed by the Roman Empire, which is going to come in the same path. And the nation of Israel at this moment, if you see down the bottom left-hand side, was broken to two kingdoms, the northern kingdom, which is known as Israel, and the southern kingdom, which was known as Judah. There's pressure from the northern kingdom to the southern kingdom to say, hey, we need to join an alliance. The Assyrian army is coming, and if we don't join together, we're going to be defeated. The southern kingdom's king, king of Judah, where Isaiah is taking place, refuses to join an alliance with the northern kingdom because he has a secret treaty with the Assyrian emperor that nobody knows about. He's basically paying the Assyrian emperor money to say, listen, if you'll conquer all the other countries around us before you conquer me, we'll pay you money. So he doesn't want anything to do with it. So Isaiah comes in to give this prophecy to him to say, this is what you need to do to repent. And the challenge for the southern kingdom's king is that he is trusting on his political maneuvering, his strategy, his conniving to say, hey, I'm going to protect Israel and Judah. I'm going to protect him through my workings. And Isaiah wants to say, you've missed the point that your deliverer, that your protector is God. And you've put your trust in yourself. 
And so he comes to the king and he gives this prophecy we're about to read, but he, it's interesting. The Bible makes it very clear. He doesn't just give it to the king because he realizes the heart of the king has already moved towards his own self-reliance. He gives it to the full nation and says, I want to give you this prophecy to remind you that your deliverer is not in a man-made treaty or the workings of man, that your deliverance and your protection comes from the Lord. And so his prophecy is simply this, repent and trust God. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14 says this. And say to him, be careful, be quiet, do not fear, and do not let your heart be faint because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands. Here's really just what he's saying. In the hands of God, these two powerful empires that are going to come against you are nothing more than smoldering stumps of firewood. And so Isaiah says, I want to remind you of the promise that God is your protection. I want to remind you of the covenant that God has with you, that he is going to send you a sign, and that sign is going to be the Messiah, for the Messiah will be your deliverer. So he says, here's the sign. Verse 14, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. So here's the sign that you're going to see. I'll let you know that the Lord hasn't forgotten you. There's going to be a virgin, and she's going to conceive a child, and that child is going to be a boy. That's pretty extraordinary, right? This is not something you see every day where a virgin is having a child. And this reminder of this sign, when you see it, you need to be reminded that God has not forgotten you in his promises to send you a Messiah. It is no wonder that that is, if that's the sign, the reminder of the, uh, of the Messiah, it's no wonder that the enemy throughout human history has systematically tried to debunk and deprove the doctrine of the virgin birth. Because if you can disprove the virgin birth, then you have no Messiah. We see it all throughout history, right? Uh, the Greek philosopher uh, Celsus claimed that Jesus was the illegitimate child of a Roman soldier who had a love affair with Mary. That took on some traction. It went a little bit later on in the eighth century. An anti-Christian cult popularized this teaching that really took off, and it just reworded it this way. Teaching that after Mary married Joseph, she unwittingly conceived a child by a neighbor who came in the dark of the night and had sex with her. She assumed the man was Joseph because she never saw his face in the dark. And according to the legend, Joseph knew that he was not the father, so he left Mary after she had delivered the son. Crazy, but that somehow took off, right? Disproved the virgin birth, disproved the Messiah. Modern day. We've got modern Bible translations, you can check yours even today, that have replaced the phrase, the virgin will conceive with a young maiden or a young woman will conceive. A couple current, pretty predominant, pretty influential pastors have basically shared this sentiment. If you believe in the death and the resurrection, you don't need to believe in the virgin birth. And here's my concern today that I just want to share with you with that kind of thinking. If Jesus was not conceived by the Holy Spirit, then he was conceived by the seed of man, right? Can we agree? This is one or two options. Either he's conceived by the Holy Spirit or if he's conceived by the seed of man. If he's conceived by the seed of man, then the Bible's pretty clear what enters into us through the seed of man. Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man... And death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. We call it the sin nature, right? 
Through Adam, sin entered into us. Through the seed of man, we were all born with a sin nature. Psalms 51.5 says it even more clearly. For I was born a sinner, yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. So both Romans, book of Psalms, you'll see other words throughout the scripture, teach us that we're born with a sin nature. So if Jesus was born through the seed of man, then he was born with a sin nature. And if Jesus was born with a sin nature, then he inherently had sin, right? And he's no longer a sinless Christ who can take away the sins of the world. The Bible is really clear, I think, on the position of who Mary was. She was not just a young maiden. She was not just a young lady. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, verse 27, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph and of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. The Bible's so clear on this because what? If you lose the, vir the virgin birth, you lose who the Messiah was. If he's not born of the spirit, then he was born of the seed of man. If he was born of the seed of man, then he inherently is born with a sin nature and he's no longer our, si our sinless savior that can take away the sins of the world. See how important this is? The Bible goes on. And what I love the Bible, the Bible supports the Bible. And what I mean by that is there are places in the Bible that give reference to other scriptures that were written in a different time by different people and different perspectives, and they reinforce each other, right? Luke makes the same claims as the prophet Isaiah did 700 years before that Jesus was born of a virgin. Now, I think about that. It's unbelievable to think, how can two men who never met each other Two men who live centuries apart make the same unbelievable claim that the idea that the Messiah would come from the Virgin Mary, how is this possible? 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 tells us how it's possible. It says this, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. All scripture. In other words, this is what's so wonderful. That the same Holy Spirit that spoke to Isaiah to give the prophecy, 700 years later spoke to Luke to give the same prophetic word about this is who the Messiah is. Why is it possible that they can be consistent? Because all scripture is what God breathed. There we go. And I love that, that fact and that truth. Now here's what's so important about that. And I think what reminds us. Because it feels like we live in a day and age that we want to figure out how little we can actually believe in the scripture and believe to be true and still say we believe it all. We have this mind, mindset, like we can pick and choose what I think is truth and what is not truth, but I still believe. Listen, if I can begin to pick and choose, listen, the flood, it really didn't happen. Noah really didn't have an ark. I, I know Noah had an ark because I've seen it. I visited it. It's a pretty amazing little thing, just a little farther north, right? So, or we begin to say, oh, it, Jonah and the whale, that's, that's not really true. There, no, there wasn't Jonah and the whale. That didn't really happen. Moses, come on now. It didn't really cross the Red Sea and here's the challenge. You begin to think that way, then you can begin to say things like, well, Mary really wasn't a virgin. Jesus didn't literally raise from the dead, right? There is no true promise of heaven. If not all scripture is God-breathed, then I can pick and choose which scripture I want to use and which scripture I like and which is believable to me and which is unbelievable to me and apply it that way. But 2 Timothy reminds us of powerful truth, right? All scripture is God-breathed. And the consistency is there is that the Holy Spirit was with the men who wrote it at each time. I believe in the virgin birth because the Bible tells me that the virgin birth was real. Joseph understood that Mary was a virgin 
and not simply just a young maiden. Because look at, look at Joseph's response when Joseph hears the news from the angel. He responds not as if, well, she's just a young maiden, but there was a virgin birth. Look at Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. See, Joseph didn't think Mary was simply just a young maiden. Joseph understood in the context of their relationship that she was a virgin, and so he's struggling to know, how do I respond to this? This isn't, I can't get my head around this. So the angel has to give him some context, right? Even Joseph responds knowing of that to be true. Here's what I just want to remind you this morning. That Joseph, the scriptures, and the requirement of the Messiah all require a virgin birth. That Isaiah's prophecy the Messiah was be born of a virgin is foundational, not only to this Christmas season, but can I encourage you, it's foundational to our Christian faith. Let me just put it this way. If there's no virgin birth, there's no sinless Christ. There's no sinless Christ, there's no atonement for sin, and there is no hope for salvation. Because one builds upon the other. The virgin birth, can I remind you, it's essential to our faith our salvation. That's why the prophet Isaiah, out of all of his teachings, makes such a strong point to remind us that this is the sign. Emmanuel will be born of a virgin. In this series, over the next two Sundays, we're going to look at some of these unexpected prophecies of Isaiah, uh, and I hope you'll you'll be encouraged by them. We're going to look next week, starting in chapter 9, of the book of Isaiah. And we're going to see that this Messiah, he's going to come to an unexpected place, to an unexpected people, with an unexpected plan, found in an unexpected person who produces ultimately an unexpected response. And he's going to tell us all these things 700 years before they actually take place. And at the end of this series, in the end of our time together, I hope, I hope we all have a greater appreciation for the heart of God and how he worked. A God who would choose to go to the darkest place, to the most forgotten and unseen, irrelevant people to bring the greatest news of mankind. A heart of a God who chose to model for us what humility is how greatness comes out of a spirit of humility. And so I hope at the end of our series that we'll have a greater appreciation for that. An incredible result of this prophecy, given over 2,700 years ago, that the Messiah would come, is that the Messiah has come. And today, 2,000 years later, we're experiencing men and women and boys and girls coming to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and their lives being transformed. We're getting the wonderful experience of seeing families restored and generational struggles and sin patterns broken and deliverance that comes from that. 2,000 years today, just a little bit later on this afternoon, we're going to get the experience of parent-child dedication for those that are going to be a part of that. And parents are going to commit to the Lord, thank the Lord for the wonderful gift and the blessing of of their children, and then make this commitment to raise them in a God-honoring home where they'll share the message of Jesus in 
generations will be changed through the impact of this Messiah. You know, in just a few moments, we're going to celebrate with those who have made that decision to place their faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And today, they're going to follow the Lord in obedience through baptism. Today, they're going to give this outward sign of the inward change that's happened in their lives. And their lives have been changed because of the fulfillment of a prophecy that was given to a prophet priest 700 years before the very events of Jesus were fulfilled. A prophet who reminded us that this Jesus will come and he will be born of a virgin, that he'll live a perfect life, that he died on the cross and three days later he rose again. And it's because of this Messiah that this truly is the most wonderful time of the year. Let's pray together. Father, today we're just reminded of the, of the power of your word. And we're thankful for those words spoken so many years ago. As the prophet Isaiah stood before a hostile king and said, this is the word of the Lord this will be a sign to you that he has not forgotten you, that he is still your deliverer, that he is your Messiah, that a child will be born to a virgin, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. And Father, 2,000 years later, we are still experiencing the wonderful life change of that prophecy coming true. power of Jesus Christ changes lives, restores families, and changes generations. So Father, today we celebrate with those that are going public with their faith and sharing their testimony on how their lives have been changed by the truth of Jesus. We thank you for that. We celebrate that today in your name. Thank you for listening to the Lex City Church podcast. If you would like to support ministries of Lex City, visit lexcity.church/give. Please subscribe and follow us on social media at Lex City Church for more encouraging teachings and content.